So not long after I first started working here at the church full-time, I was invited to come down to like deep south Mississippi, Van Cleve, Mississippi, right on the coast, and spend a week speaking to a group of students who were there with their families for a revival. And so I was invited to come down to what they called a camp meeting. Anybody know what a camp meeting is in the room here? Apparently it's a southern thing. I'm from Indiana. I don't know anything about this. So I, I was like, sure, that sounds, that sounds wonderful. So I, I loaded up my vehicle. I drove 10 hours down to southern Mississippi, and I rolled into town and found out the camping has nothing to do with camping or tents. And so I rolled into town, and they told me to go out to this like area outside of town where Van Cleve United Methodist Church was going to be gathering. And I drove out there and long driveway and came into this big grassy area. And in a big horseshoe shape, there was all these different little structures, all, all attached, all connected, going all the way around, about 75 of them. These structures have been passed down from family to family, generation after generation after generation. And every year they gather together for revival at this camp meeting out on this property. And all the families take off of work and do different things. Kids come up for school and they spend time in these homes. They eat meals together. They spend time with one another. And then every night in the middle of this structure, they have this big open air tabernacle with like um, enough seating for like 100 people all on wooden pews underneath all of it. And it's, it's really cool. So I was invited down, I came down, ate meals with wonderful people, spent time talking all day long, and at night there'd be a speaker, and then I would speak to students all week long. Had a wonderful, sweet, sweet time. Two years in a row, spent time down there. But every time I would leave and drive home, I would drive out of this area, and there was always a banner right outside of where the camp meeting was held, and it said this each and every time. Come to camp meeting, had the dates for it, and then it said it's time for revival. Two years in a row. And I thought to myself, each time I left, how do you schedule a revival? Like, how do you schedule this thing and invite people to come? Like, the revival's gonna happen now. So come and join us for this thing. Because Jeff, last week, kind of expressed to us what revival is and what it means. He said this, revival is when the living God powerfully breaks into human history with the good news of his salvation. When God shows up in new and fresh ways with renewed sense of God's presence, power, holiness, and truth that inevitably spills out into the church and then into the world. How do you schedule for this? Like this, revival is not something that you put on the church calendar and invite people to come to you, make a nice casserole, some, some carrot salad, bring it everybody together. You sing a couple hymns, you have a fiery preacher at the end of the night, and then boom, the spirit of God just falls. I don't think it happens like that. I mean, it's certainly true that throughout human history, there have been times spontaneously and powerfully, God just entered us in and does something miraculous. We've seen it from time to time, different places, different locations. But I think what you see throughout scripture and throughout human history, more than anything, when it comes to revival, it's not this thing that takes place that you invite everybody to, but instead, it's a rhythm that we actually can discover within our life and live into, and in doing so, through this power of God's word, through the person of Jesus Christ and the leading of the Holy Spirit, we live these things out in our life and we see powerful things happen. Because here's what I'm convicted by this morning. Revival, a powerful move of God, a renewed spirit, is not an event, it's an environment. It's not an event, it's an environment. So I want to be clear for you this morning. This series that we're in right now, this four-week series, our intention is not to invite you here on Sunday morning because we know if you show up at 1045, the spirit of God has fallen. Now it could, and that would be so awesome. But that is far above my pay grade to determine. So what we believe more accurately, I believe, that if we create the kind of space, if we live the kind of life that God has called us to in the kind of rhythms that God wants us to live into, then God's powerful work will take place within our lives, in our communities, in our nation, in our world. This is what we mean by revival. It's not something that you can just plan and put on the calendar. It's not something you can attend. It's not something you can manipulate. 
But instead, revival is a carefully cultivated environment where the things of God are able to take root and then able to grow. It's a, it's a place carefully cultivated where there's an environment for God and the things of God to take root and then to grow. When my wife and I first bought our house that we live in now, we walked in the backyard. I was like, it's a beautiful house. We walked in the backyard and it was covered in pine straw. It was beautiful. But guess why? There was no grass. So we bought the house and we walked out like, wow, this is all sand. This is really nice. And so what we decided was this little chunk of South Carolina soil, we were going to change it and make it beautifully green for my children to frolic through. And so we did what most people do. We went and spent a ton of money and time and energy and put in sod, right, everywhere in the backyard. And I expected as soon as the sod would go in, it'd be beautifully lush and green and just start sprouting everywhere. It was going to be so awesome. But guess what happened? It died a very expensive death. So I watched as my green yard turned into crunchy brown dirt, you know? And so I did what everybody else does. I bought more sod. And you bring it in and you put it over the old sod. You're like, oh, at least now we have some like, you know, natural material for the new sod to grab. That's not how it works. I found out later. But I put all the sod in. And if you walk out my back door right now onto my porch, look to the left, you will see where there once was beautiful chunks of green grass. Now it's just sand. And it's ugly. And I found out a really expensive, important lesson. When it comes to growing things, you have to have the right environment for it to grow, otherwise it will die. And so for me, if you have rocky soil, if you don't have any irrigation, if you don't have the stuff you're supposed to have in that particular environment, not enough sunlight, your grass will die. And you'll spend money over and over and over again. It's not conducive for growth. In fact, Jesus tells a whole story about this in the Gospels. It's a parable. It's a story We're meant to find ourselves in some kind of way. Jesus tells a parable about a farmer who goes and takes seed and throws it everywhere. And this farmer throws this seed in all places. The seed is meant to be the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And in the story, wherever the seed falls, some places it's rocky soil. Some places there's weeds that grow up and choke it out. Some places it's barren ground. It's so hard it can't take root. In every one of those instances, it doesn't grow. It doesn't grow. Here's why. It's about environment. There's nothing wrong with the seed. There's something wrong with the what? Soil. Something wrong with the environment. We believe revival is not an event. We believe it's an environment. And so the reason I believe this this morning is because there are some of us who have come into this room today, including myself from time to time. We come here on a Sunday morning. We do all the right things. We check the box. We listen to Caleb. We eat Chick-fil-A. We do all the Christian things. And on the outside, it looks like we have it all together. But if we're honest, for some of us in our life, the reason we don't experience the power of God, the reason we don't experience revival, the reason nothing has changed is simply this. You have not created the kind of environment that is conducive for God to grow things. The environment that your life has become is not conducive for revival to break out. And so this morning, we're going to look into Galatians chapter 5. And Paul's writing to the Galatians in this book. And in chapter 5, what he's addressing, the entire chapter, is the freedom that we have as Christians. And he's basically saying, listen, you don't have to live by the ways that you used to live. The sinful ways are gone. Now you can live a new way. You've been given freedom to live a new life. And so he says this in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 and 17, as he introduces this whole concept to us this morning. He says this in verse 16. So I say, Paul says, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. 
For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. Paul introduces here in verse 16 a very important concept for us this morning. If we're going to have the kind of environment in our life where the power of God can work, where we can be transformed, where he can do amazing things, not in an event, but an environment, we have to understand there are two choices that we have in our life that Paul introduces. We can either walk in the rhythm of the spirit or walk in the rhythm of the flesh. It's flesh versus the spirit. Paul says, There are desires of our flesh, and these desires are in contrast with spirit. They can't coexist with one another. This is a difficulty. We can't walk to the beat in the rhythm of two drums. It's one or the other. So Paul says, when we walk by the flesh, which is an important Greek word, it's the word sarx. Everyone say sarx. This Greek word sarx, it it literally means all of the ways in our life that we live that is apart from the divine presence of God. Sarks, the flesh, is all the decisions and actions that we choose independent of God's inner working. So we choose on our own. It's unaided by the direction of God. This is when we speak from, respond from, reason from, love from the untouched and unchanged, unchanged parts of who we are. This is flesh. Sarks. Paul says this is a rhythm that you can walk to. Flesh. But then Paul says this, there's another way that you can walk, another way that you can live, and he calls it the spirit, which is the Greek word pneuma. Everyone say pneuma. The Greek word pneuma means wind or breath. But what Paul's trying to say here, this pneuma is where God's influence is leading within our lives. The pneuma is not our normal choice. It's not our normal nature. In fact, usually pneuma comes about by a prompting deep within us where we find ourselves saying, I want to do this, but this is the better choice. It's flesh versus spirit as we become sensitive to the things of God. Have you ever found yourself at an impasse deciding what to do about a certain situation, a certain thing? Like, should I say this or should I do this? Should I go to this place? Should I, should I make this decision? And when you find yourself in these impasses, sometimes as you look at the situation, you could say, if I do this, this is gonna be something selfish, But if I do this, this is gonna be something selfless. If I do this, this is gonna be harmful to people, but if I do this, this will show compassion. If I do this, it's a lack of self-control, but if I do this, I'm gonna show restraint. If you've ever felt that way before, then you've experienced the struggle that Paul is talking about. It's the struggle between flesh and spirit. It's often depicted as a demon on one shoulder, right? Satan on one shoulder and then an angel on the other, speaking to both ears, which one should I do? But I believe more accurately, what they're trying to depict is simply this. It's the age-old struggle between walking in the flesh and walking in the spirit, between sarks and pneuma. Now, Paul continues on after he introduces this whole concept to us about creating an environment for our life where God can grow things. In chapter 5, verse 19, he's addressing certain things in the ancient Near East that were actually going on. So Paul's not just pulling this out of his head. I mean, these are real things that he's trying to address in the terms, that, in, in the terms of way Christians should live in the ancient Near East. Now, the funniest thing here is when you listen to this list, it sounds like it's for people in the ancient world, but it's also for who? Us. It's surprising how many hundreds of years later it's the same exact stuff. So Paul addresses it in chapter 5, verse 19 through 24, when he says this. The acts of the flesh, the sarks, are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, 
witchcraft, hatred, discourse, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. All I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But then he says this, but those who belong to Christ, sorry, but the fruits of the Spirit, here's the second choice, the Spirit now, is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things, there is no law, he says. And then he says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sarks. He's crucified the flesh with all of its passions and its desires. So Paul says, he gets right to the heart of what we're dealing with here. When it comes to flesh and spirit, you have to understand that there's something going on when we choose to live a certain kind of way. If you this morning sense barrenness in your soul, if you sense a deadness to the voice of God, a lack of the spiritual growth within your life, then Paul might say, you're in need of revival. You're in need of an awakening, of God to do something fresh and real within you, and you have to recognize this, this, every rhythm produces a result. Every rhythm that you choose in your life will produce a result of some kind. It's sarks, and it's pneuma. It's flesh, and it's spirit. Either rhythm will produce a result. When I was in sixth and seventh grade, I played the trumpet. I was what you would call not good. So I played trumpet in the middle school band, and my my best friend Johnny Walls was in there with me, and so we would play trumpet. We'd practice trumpet all week long. We'd come and play and everything. And I'll never forget, for some reason, the song we were learning in band that, that year was called Fanfare 2000. So we're supposed to be learning Fanfare 2000, but for whatever reason, Johnny and I decided we were going to learn how to play Jurassic Park's theme song instead. You know what I'm talking about? Dun, 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 dun. Like perfect trumpet song, right? So we learned to play Jurassic Park, and so we would go to class, and we would start playing Fanfare 2000, but in the trumpet section over here, instead, Johnny and I were like reliving the blockbuster hit, like playing Jurassic World's theme song. And every time, our band teacher, Mr. Johnson, would get so angry with us. This is a true story. He got so angry at Johnny, he threw the baton at Johnny. And we would oftentimes end up in Mr. Johnson's class, or his, his office, right off the classroom. And here's why. Every rhythm that we choose, every rhythm has a result of some kind. There is some kind of result from the ways that we choose to live, the ways that we choose to walk. And Paul is trying to get to this. Apart from the things that have happened to us outside of our control, our lot in life is largely determined by the decisions that we make. The place that we find ourselves in our life right now, you might even be thinking about it as I'm talking, this addiction, the situation that you're in with your marriage, with your kids, with school, with friendships. Largely, these are determined by the kinds of rhythms that we have within our life, and every rhythm has a result. So Paul mentions them to us, two lists. The first one, Paul says, this is true for ancient people and it's true for us today. When we walk by the rhythm of flesh or sarks, the result will be a disregard for the ways that God has created the world to work. And they're contrast with one another. He says, when you live by the flesh, we misuse sexuality. We worship lesser gods. We hate and fight with each other, we're angry, we're ungrateful, and we long for what other people have, we're prone to addiction, and we break relationships, because every rhythm has a result. But then he says this, Paul then says, the rhythm that we can choose is the spirit of God, the rhythm of spirit, and it's a very different result indeed. When we live in in rhythm with the divine, 
it produces this within us. He said love, love for God, love for ourselves and love for others. We display joy. There are some Christians who I know who have the least amount of joy of anybody in the world, but we're supposed to produce joy out of our life. Our hearts, we have peace. We're patient with each other. We treat others with kindness. We're faithful. We're gentle in how we speak to one another. We develop self-control to say yes to what we should say yes to and no to what we should say no to. Because every rhythm produces a result. And Paul mentions two of them. Now, after this list, Paul makes us aware of, he introduces the key to walking in the Spirit. And here's the thing. If I hear these two lists that Paul makes, I know which one I want. I don't want the first one. I want love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's what I want. So what's the key then to living in the spirit? How do we do this? How do we find this rhythm if we're gonna live into this? And here's what he says in chapter five, verse 25 at the end of this discussion. He says, since we live by the spirit, he's assuming we do, then let us keep in step with the spirit. If we live by the spirit, then let us keep in step with the spirit. Now, the phrase, keep in step with the Spirit, is a specific word in the Greek that's translated this way. This is the word, the Greek word stoicheo. It means to keep in step, to walk in line, to adhere to a particular stride or cadence. It seems that Paul believes in order for us to live into the Spirit rather than the flesh, we have to keep up with it. It's an environment that we create, not an event. It's an environment. So for our church, our community, our nation, our world, Paul says, here's the hope we have. By adhering to a particular cadence, a particular beat, a particular rhythm, and staying in touch and in line with that. So I wanna demonstrate this for you this morning. So I'm gonna invite a few people out from our band today. Would you welcome them to the stage? Yeah, guys. So first I wanna introduce you to who we have here real quick, and then I wanna, I wanna show you a little something. So first, what's your name, sir? My name is Brock. Everyone say hi, Brock. So Brock, would you just give us a little taste of what you got this morning for us? That's good, dude. Very good, very good. Okay, so now we also have someone else, and her name is? Molly. Everyone say hi, Molly. So Molly, what instrument do you have? My hands. Her hands, okay, good. Molly, give us a little taste of what you got this morning, too. Absolutely. Wow. Thank you, Molly. That was impressive. And then we have Brett. Hey, Brett. Nice tiny guitar. It's a ukulele. Or a ukulele. <laughs> so Brett's going to play the tiny guitar for us, so give us a little taste. Very good. Now we have, finally. Hi, I'm Thomas. Everyone say hi, Thomas. You may know Thomas. plays guitar a lot for us. Thomas, give us a little taste of what you got this morning. Very good. Now, you may not know this, but on a Sunday morning when the band comes and plays together, they have something in their ear called an in-ear monitor. Now, it's like a glorified headphone, but what's happening inside of their ears is they're playing on stage and leading us in worship. There's a click that's going off in their head that's helping them keep on time, like I'm not doing, um, together for whatever song that we're playing. It's very important. Without that click, that unifying piece, that cadence, that rhythm, without that, it's complete and total chaos on stage. So what I want to show you is what it looks like 
if this band were to come out and instead of uh, kind of having a certain cadence they're sharing across the board, they chose whatever cadence they wanted to live by. They chose whatever, whatever rhythm they want to play by. So they're going to play one of my favorite jams in the world. Hey, soul sister. Okay, so here we go. Check this out. This is going to be each BPM, each rhythm, each cadence they've chosen on their own all together for Hazel Sister. Ready, go. Wow, nice tiny guitar at the end. So, um, not what you'd expect, right, from, from a band of this caliber on a Sunday morning. Now, what we're going to do is instead of them having their own rhythm in their own ears for whatever they want to play by, we're going to give them all the same cadence, the same rhythm, the same BPM in their in-ears, and we're going to have them play the song one more time. All right, Hazel Sister, ready, go. Wow. Give him a hand one more time. Thank y'all. Good job, dudes. Good job. Same song. Same song. Here's the big difference. The first time everyone was playing whatever rhythm they want to play, making any choice that they wanted, that they wanted to make. And in doing so, guess what we have? Chaos. But when everyone has one cadence that we're playing to, one rhythm that we're adhering to, one way of living, not sarks, not by the flesh, but instead by the Spirit of God, there's something beautiful that takes place, something different that takes place altogether. And so in this life, one of our convictions is this. God has made the world to work and function in a certain kind of way. And oftentimes, we find ourselves in difficulty, struggling along, just trudging along. One of the first things you need to look at is, am I living in line, in rhythm with the way the world was intended to work in the first place? If I'm not, that's a problem. Maybe I'm living by sarks, by my own flesh, deciding whatever I want to do and creating chaos. But instead, what would it look like for me to recognize that there is a spirit of God that can live and dwell inside of me, that can be the very rhythm that I choose to live by, the cadence that I walk by, and it could change everything. Now, here's the thing. If the spirit of God can do that for me, I want to know how do I find that beat? How do I find that rhythm? How do I live into that? I think there's four real simple ways we can do this. Number one, it's the word of God. It's the Bible. This book is an authority for our life on how we should live. The Bible gives us this rhythm to be able to live out within us. It's been, it's been preserved for us for a certain reason. It's a guidance for our lives. But the content that we find within scripture was written for a certain people at a certain time. So you can't just take it and blanket statement, roll it over our circumstances right now. We have to be able to interpret this to know, God, what is the rhythm that you have for us? So we look at the person of Jesus. The person of Jesus walking here on earth, he is, he is the word lived out before us. The word made flesh, the Bible says. He shows us the way to live. He shows us what it looks like to live it out perfectly. And then also, as Christians, we've been given the spirit of God to live and dwell inside of us. It gives us discernment and direction. It helps us know what's true. 
And then you have the world, the way God has created it from the very beginning. Romans talks about it often, that God has made the world to function. There's order in creation. There's purpose in creation. So as simply as I can say it, here's what it looks like to find that rhythm. Where does the word of God, the person of Jesus, the spirit of God, and the way the world is intended to work, where do those things collide? That's the rhythm that we are meant to live into. And as, if we as Christians can grab a hold of that, to put aside the way of sarks, the rhythm of, of flesh, but instead grab a hold of the rhythm of the spirit, this is revival. This is an awakening. This is not an event. This is an environment where the things of God can grow and change us. But revival also, it's not about religion. Revival is about relationship. Revival is not about religion, it's about relationship. You see, some of us in here this morning, we have religion. It's dead ritual. It's rules and restrictions. It's checking the box on a Sunday morning. There's rhythm there because you do it every single week, but there's no life there. When you have religion, you have nothing more than a habit of mowing the yard, brushing your teeth, and changing your oil. You just do it because what you do in the South, you go to church on a Sunday morning. There's rhythm, but no life. So instead of religion, revival says that a movement of God is about a relationship with a living God who's working in us and through us each and every day. If my wife and I, when we got married, if we were to stand before each other, hand each other rings, say our vows at this event that everybody comes to and enjoys great food afterwards, if that was it, and then we went throughout our lives and our marriage without any kind of rhythms to our marriage at all, guess what would happen? Dead. It would never last. Without the rhythms of a regular date night, a timely text saying I love you, or some kind of cute emoji. Without some of these things, intimacy with one another, without all of these rhythms to a marriage, your marriage will never survive. The same thing is true for our relationship with God. If it's a religion, then you're checking boxes and that's it. If it's a relationship, then a relationship takes a certain kind of environment to be able to thrive and be healthy. This is revival. So there's four rhythms I want to introduce you to this morning that I would love for us all to grab a hold of and live into. And they're very simple. And the first one is this, worship, worship. When we come here on a Sunday morning, it's not because we have nothing else to do. I've got grass to grow at my house, okay? I have plenty to do than to come here on a Sunday morning. We, we do this because we believe as Christians that when we gather together with one another, there's something powerful that happens. When we gather together and we see songs that honor God, we allow God's word to be open before us. When we allow ourselves to be in this environment collectively as a family, as a church, not on some island somewhere, but instead publicly professing our faith with, with one another, God does amazing things. This is why we want Sunday to be a priority for everyone. Not because it makes us feel good to have these seats full, but simply because we believe something special happens when we worship together. What would it look like if this was a, a rhythm for you and for your family? Not to check the box off, but instead to come and stand before God and say, God, you have my heart. And, and you have this hour and 15 minutes, God, where I'm gonna lay everything else aside so that you can speak to me, so that you can grow things in me that otherwise would not grow. So worship. And worship doesn't just happen on a Sunday morning, by the way. Worship happens in the way that we live our life day in and day out. All of life is worship. In fact, we all worship something. The problem is some of us worship the Gamecocks. 
It's a bad thing to put your, your worship into. Some of us worship fantasy football. Fun, but it'll fail. Some of us worship our jobs. Some of us worship friendships and relationships. Some of us worship money. And we worship those things, it'll always fail. There's something about having a rhythm of, of worship of the one true God who's at work remaking and renewing the world around us to bring us awake as well. Fantastic result because every rhythm produces a result. Number two, number two, growth. One of our convictions here and a deep conviction of mine is that I'm not done growing yet. I have a lot to learn. And what I do know, I hold with an open hand. Here's the thing. Some of us in this room this morning, we have questions. Welcome to the club. I have a ton of questions, but here's what I'm also confident of. Some of my questions have actual answers. And so instead of just sitting there being frustrated by the questions that I have, I go and say, God, would you grow me to understand more and more about who you are? And so we make a rhythm, a habit, a regular rhythm of coming together in a Sunday school, a small group, listening to podcasts, reading books, going to a, a class of some kind here at Mount Horeb. This is not because we want to feel good about how many people come to this class, because we want to create an environment where God can grow us and change us and more and more and more become more mature in our faith, because not one of us in this room have arrived. There's more to go. Third, a rhythm of service, of serving one another. We make it a regular habit to invest in the lives of people around us. At the nine o'clock service this morning, there were some folks who were sitting in these seats with blue shirts on. They were beautiful with little colorful designs because these folks have decided to invest their lives into the lives of kids here at this church. It's the mark of a Christian. Someone who invests their life and their time and their energy and their finances and all they have to be able to help others who are outside of themselves. Whether it's kids, students, adults, the parking lot, the welcome team, the production team, local missions here that we partner with, overseas, somewhere, wherever it is. Part of being a Christian is having a rhythm of service and humility, putting other people ahead of ourselves. Lastly, the rhythm of sharing. We worship, we grow, we serve, and we share. If you are in love with Jesus, you share that with other people. If you have religion, you don't do anything. If you have religion, you grumble and complain from time to time about the religion that you profess to have. But if you have relationship, you're in love with Jesus and you tell people about it. You ever met somebody that's in love with somebody? You talk about them like constantly and you're like, shut up. They can't. It's because they love them somewhere deep within them. I don't know about you this morning, but I love Jesus. I love him because he's changed me. He's done something in me that nobody else could do. And so because of that, if I've experienced that, I want other people to experience it too. So there's a good chance if you're gonna sit down with coffee with me or lunch with me, we're gonna talk about him. And it might be uncomfortable, but I'm okay with that because I love him. I love God with all that I have. What would happen if some of us in this room were to awaken to the things of God and realize what I've got is religion. I'm checking the box, I'm mowing the yard, I'm brushing my teeth and I'm going to church. But instead you realize that there's a God who cares about you and who loves you and who is real. And you can share that God with other people. We wanna make this as simple as possible. This, this act of sharing. 
As you leave this morning, you'll see some door hangers right outside the door. We would love for you as a family, folks in your community to decide together, we're gonna prayer walk our neighborhood. It's very simple, it's what it sounds like. You walk around your neighborhood and you pray. You ask God to bring an awakening to our community. You bless each and every home. God, would you bless this home with your grace? Would you bless this home with your grace? Would you do something in this marriage, in this home, with these children in this home? Would you help us to care for one another and take care of one another? May your, may your grace be upon this entire neighborhood, God. We invite you to do that. In fact, we have these door hangers that we'd love for you to take, and it's very non-invasive. On the back side, it just says simply, we're, we're here because we want to bless your home. There's a couple scriptures on the back of this. I want you to take as many of these as you'd like. We have 10,000 of them. We want this to be a physical manifestation of the prayers that are going up for our community in the Midlands here in South Carolina, because we believe God's up to something, and we want to be a part of it. So share. Here's what we're sharing, as simply as I can make it. We're sharing the gospel of Jesus. And this gospel goes like this. The Bible tells us that when we were created by God, we were created perfect. But something was entered into the world through disobedience called sin. And that sin is a sickness, and it's a sickness that we can't take care of ourselves. If we could, we would have done it a long time ago. And the sin is always inward turning. It always produces the kind of chaos that comes from sarks from the flesh. And so what Jesus does, he lays aside heaven. He comes here to earth, the gospel tells us. He walks among us. He does amazing miracles. And eventually he's arrested, he's crucified, and he's killed. But the Bible tells us he's not dead anymore. He rises from the dead, and it's the power of defeating evil and sin like that that allows us. The Bible says when we believe in our heart, confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, we shall be saved. So if you have the sense this morning that you're in the middle of something that you can't save yourself from, I got good news for you. Welcome to the club. None of us can save ourselves, but Jesus can. And we put our faith and our hope and our trust in him. We begin to walk in the spirit of God. That's revival. That is revival. So I want to pray for us just here in a second. And I don't know what God's doing in the room this morning, but I do know this. I believe his spirit is here among us. And maybe this morning as I've been talking, you recognize, listen, I'm as spiritually dead as I can possibly be. Church for me is a drudgery. I have no interest in coming here. The things of God, I have no interest in those things, but I know that I want to. Then today, you can make the decision to put your faith in Jesus Christ. Have your sins forgiven, offered new life, to walk in the spirit of God and have the promise of eternity. You can't beat that. It's changed me. It's changed people I know and it can do the same for you. Or maybe this morning, as we've talked, you've got the sense that I've been coming to church for a long time, but I've got dead religion. It's not worth anything. This morning, I encourage you that you can come alive and awake to the things of God by the Spirit of God. Would you bow with me? Let's pray together this morning. Father God, I don't know what you want to do. I in no way want to manipulate your spirit. God, in no way do I feel like this one service is like where you're gonna do amazing things. But I do know, God, that when we create an environment for you to work, you will come. 
And so God, right now, I pray for any person in this room who feels like, who knows that they're far from you, God, I pray that you'd awaken their hearts to want you more than anything. I pray they would create that environment to walk in the spirit of God for things to grow and to change and transform. We're gonna sing this closing song here in just a moment. Here's what I would invite you to do in the room this morning if you sense God is trying to do something new in you. I want you as boldly as you can stand up by yourself with someone next to you, grab somebody on the way down and come to the front of this altar as we sing this closing song and let's pray together and ask God to forgive our sins, to make us new and to change our lives. We're gonna have some staff members up here who would love to pray with you. Just raise your hand. We will come right to you and come right alongside of you and pray with you this morning. This closing song is one of the most perfect songs I can think of, what it looks like to live this rhythm from the morning, the, the time that I get up in the morning to the time that I lay my head on my pillow at night to go to sleep. So what I wanna do is we sing this song. I invite you right now. Would you just stand and would you come to the front? Let us pray and ask God to do a work within our life to awaken us to revival today. Would you come now? Let's pray together. Come.